This is episode 935 with international coaching expert Wayne Goldsmith. But if, if I'm dealing with an athlete who's not performing in competition, it's, it's a process of trying to understand why. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's simplifying it. You know, sometimes, you know, they might go to, I don't know, all African championships and they've got a routine and then they go to the Olympics and they change. They do something different because they think the Olympics are different or they think the world championships, th there's no difference. You've got to get on the track and run nine, six and win. That's, that's what they got to do. There is, that's all it is. It's the track is still a hundred meters long. The lanes are the same width. The wind conditions are standardized. Everything's the same. The only difference is the way you perceive it. Yeah, so we bring it all back in and just get them to be calm, relaxed. Relaxation, my friend, is an underrated skill. One of the most important things we can teach athletes. Welcome to Athlete Maestro, a podcast tailored for athlete development, improvement, and peak performance. And now, here's your host. You know, there's always a saying, or there has been this saying, that um, you should never meet your idols, or you should never meet your virtual mentors, because for some reason, you just might be disappointed. But um, I can attest, right, for a fact that there are certain of those mentors, certain of those idols that you should actually meet in person. And one of those people is my guest today on the podcast. You see, when I made that transition, obviously after my injury from sports uh, into coaching, I'd always planned to coach, right? You know, the, the focus or the goal for me was, also, was always to do coaching right. And one of the people that I found all those years ago was a guy named Wayne Goldsmith. And it is so surreal, right, that I can have him on the podcast for you guys to listen today. Like, it is literally so surreal and i told him just as much on the podcast it's a really long episode so i don't want to you know go into too much detail right in this introductory part i want you to just go in like and just listen and see why i have wayne as an idol or as a virtual mentor but of course now we've removed that virtual from it because literally he and i just had a conversation and i'm sure it's a relationship that will continue to go on wayne goldsmith is being a coach right the coach's coach for over 30 years. His background, of course, is in swimming, but uh, trust me, he has transitioned to be much more than that. He's an international coaching expert. He's a sports performance consultant as well. This is a guy who countries, countries, right, are chasing him left, right, and center, you know, to come into their coaching program to help their athletes. We talk about so many things, guys, so many things uh, on this episode, and it's one that you're going to want to save and you're going to want to put on repeat. We talked about how, as an athlete, you can prepare for a tournament. We talk about if as an athlete you struggle to train, right, or you train right, rather, and then, of course, you struggle to take that into performance. We talked about dealing with winning and losing. Then we went into coaching. You as an athlete, building a relationship with your coach. Then we talk about sports parenting as well. So, yes, sports parents, and you're listening to this, trust me, this is something that you are going to listen to. You know how they talk about promises, right? Oh, never make a promise you can't keep and things like that. I am guaranteeing you guys that you listen to this episode, right? First and foremost, just by listening, your life will change, right? If you then listen and you apply, your life will change drastically, right? So the first part, you just listen, there's going to be a change. No doubt about it. 
right? But if you listen and apply, your life is absolutely going to change dramatically and drastically. I'm going to stop talking now, guys. I'm going to allow you to come and listen to the master, right? I called him an OG on this episode, the master of coaching, Wayne Goldsmith. Out of all those things, what I am more than anything is a terrible fisherman. That last night uh, <laughs> I went, there's a beautiful little creek that we go to and we had a walk on the beach and then I went fishing and uh, two hours, nothing, not a bite. I couldn't, they, the mosquitoes wouldn't even bite me last night. So uh, if anyone's got any advice, <laughs> you can get my contact details. If anyone's got any advice about fishing better, I'd love to hear it. Uh, so coaching experts are not great fishermen. So you guys headed first on athlete maestro but wayne um i want to i know a lot of people wait to the end of the podcast episode to you know kind of acknowledge the work that you know their guests do generally as it relates to putting out um their expertise but what i want to do at the start is to acknowledge you for the impact that you've had on my coaching you know and i did allude to this before um, we started recording you know and it, and it comes from the bottom of my heart i've been on your email list for a while you know it's truly an honor to have you on the podcast your coaching manuals like if there's anything, this was, I, I was joking with my wife recently, uh, just a couple of hours ago, that this is the easiest episode I've ever prepared for because I've digested your content so much that I didn't need to go deep and start, you know, listening to podcast episodes you had done at this point or all of that. It, it's more or less like Wayne Goldsmith is part of me. So I want to acknowledge yeah. you for that, you know, and thank you for the impact you. that you have had on me. No, thank you. I appreciate that. It's, it's wonderful to hear sometimes... I'm, I sit in front of my computer and an idea will come up and you go, well, I want to share that with other coaches and other people to see if they can learn from it. And it's, it shocks me sometimes that people from different parts of the world will ring me or, or speak to me. I ran into someone in Ireland recently who said, uh, I was at a swimming pool and they said, come and have a look at this. And in their team room, they'd had some of my work printed and up on the wall. And it's very humbling. It's beautiful. And it makes you feel very loved and and that everything's worthwhile. But it's very humbling and, and uh, yeah, a little bit crazy too. My my <laughs> wonderful my wonderful fiance had never seen that before. And uh, she said, look at all your fans. And I said, that's a really mm. weird way of looking at it. That's a, <laughs> uh, you know, it's a crazy way of looking at it. But it's, it is, it's really beautiful. And particularly when they say, as you have, that it's affected their coaching because that's what it's all about. There's a, there's yeah. a beautiful phrase that says, if you want to change a life, become a coach because that's what coaching mm. is. Coaching is change. We inspire, uh, we, we inspire kids to change by the way we connect with them. Yeah. But if you want to really make a difference, coach the coaches. You know, coaches mm. change lives, but I think what we do as educators we're making enormous change because if we're impacting on coaches who are changing yeah. lives, you can have an enormous impact on the industry. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I have to agree with your fiancé as well that, yes, you do have a lot of fans. You know, so she wasn't, she wasn't mistaken you know, in, in saying that. But when you're a man with vast experience, you know, and w- what I want us to do with this episode is I want us to split it into three parts. I want us to talk about the athletes because obviously you've worked with so so many elite athletes over the course of your coaching career and like you just alluded to you've worked with the coaches as well so coaching the coaches and the final part which is something that you are extremely passionate about which i am extremely passionate about 
is sports parenting. I have a, um, a five-year-old daughter who, who plays tennis and is absolutely loving it. You know, and when I say that your, your, your coaching has impacted me, you know, it's in a lot of those areas. So I want us to discuss that as well. I, I know I'm, I'm asking a lot, but, you know, as, as much as you can squeeze into the time that we have, I, I want us to do that. Obviously, you're down on the wing. So we'll start with the athletes part. You're down under the Australian Open right in tennis is is currently ongoing i i literally just thought about this like five minutes ago before we went on air if there's an athlete who that's their first grand slam right they are 17 16 you know and they're going into a tournament like that they come to you you know for for coaching advice what should i do how should i approach the tournaments what are the things you would recommend for me to do how do you coach that type of athlete doing yeah it's funny i i've actually that's happened to me in the last few months but Wow. But, um, yeah, there's a few things. First of all, it's obviously training and preparation. And mm. what I think happens is I think coaches are very good at training an athlete to do an event. So we know, mm. we, we know that the technology and the information and, and ideas about diet and strength training, if, if someone said, I want to train a 400-meter runner to break 50 seconds, at a, maybe a junior tournament somewhere. We know how to do that, and it's not that hard. And I think coaches are mm. good at volume, intensity, frequency, periodization, because there's so much information about that. And it's the same, I think, with tennis, is that you can teach kids to do backhand. You can get them really fit. You can teach them to forehand mm. and serve and volley, and that's not the issue. The issue is, can we coach them to perform when and where it matters to the mm. standard they need to perform at under pressure. That's, mm. that's the real challenge of a Grand Slam or a big tournament. It's not, can they play five sets of tennis? Of course they can. That's physiology. <laughs> yes. They just do a lot of training, do a lot of lead-up competitions. Teaching them how to, to mm -hmm. do the physical side is not that hard. So... What I talk to them about, ideally three months or even longer before they come in, is how can we do it in the competition environment? So then my cornerstone principle of performance sport for athletes is this. Make training more challenging and more demanding than the competition you're preparing for. Because, mm. as you know, most, most let's say the... Uh, Football World Cup, the Olympic Games, a World Championship, a Grand Slam. Let's say that's competition at that level. What most people do is train at that level and then they wish and hope and pray and, and, and light that's candles mean. that mm. they'll find that little bit yeah. when they're under pressure. They just think that they've got training brain and competition brain mm. and even though if if they train there if they train almost that hard if they're almost there then they'll get they're lucky mm. and and mm. they'll get excited and it's not like that it's if you've been around for a while you know if the competition is there you've got to train there so yeah. that no matter what happens in the competition you've got the physical and mental and technical and strategic skills to deal with it because I you know you know I say to tennis players look we're, like this tennis player, I said, we're meeting at 10 a.m. You've had a beautiful breakfast. You've had a great sleep. It's quiet. What are you going to do if you're in a late night game that finishes at one? Then you've got drug mm -hmm. testing and media 
and you don't get to bed till 2.30 a.m., then you're in a scheduled doubles game at 7.30 in the morning. Then mm. you're in the next round of the single. That's what it's about. It's not about performing the act of tennis. It's can I do it fast, under fatigue, under pressure, consistently in competition. So the whole process with them is, first of all, preparing to do it when and where it really matters. The second part is very much a mindfulness exercise, which is, sure, there's a lot of people watching and there's a lot of money involved, Mm -hmm. but in the end, the job's the same. The person at the other end is going to serve to me and I've got to get it back. And then I've got to get in a position to hit it back to them. Ultimately, there's no difference. The only difference... And the, the story I tell about this, it's called the plank story. And mm. I say, imagine there's a piece of wood on the ground, one meter wide and 10 meters long. Could you walk from one end to the other? Well, the answer is, of course we can. So imagine now that that plank was 10 kilometers straight up in the air. Could you walk on it? And a lot of people would say, no. And I say, well, what's the difference? there's no difference the only difference is you're now looking around at things that have nothing to do with walking from one end of the uh, to the other you're looking Mm. around and it's changing your mindset so what i do with the tennis players and and with athletes going to big competitions is just to get them to focus on one thing at a time what am i doing now what do i Mm -hmm. do on this lap so we teach them words like now and here and this. Mm. We teach them to be more into the moment and more mindful of what they're doing. And then the third thing that we do with uh, with the tennis players or the, the, or the elite athletes is get them to take care of themselves because what I find mm. a lot of athletes do is they come in and they're ready to go for the first, but then yeah. they fall. So we talk about yeah. great sleep hydration, mm. refueling, meditation, having time with their friends to even in the middle of a tournament, go to the movies, go and do something mm-hmm. else to depressurize the situation and keep yourself mentally and emotionally mm. healthy. So they're the types of things that, that we do, but that's the key principle. If, if the competition is there, you've got to prepare here. Yeah. Mm. Why do you think athletes, and you know, this would apply to elite athletes, it would also apply to um, the young athletes, the up-and-coming athletes, why do you think they struggle to train like they are competing? Because if it's, you know, I, I always say this, that yes, it's easier said than done, but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. Because I think everybody likes to harp on that statement, oh, but it's easier said than done. Nobody said it was harder said than done. But the point is that it still needs to be done. Why do you think athletes struggle with training like competition? Yeah, it's a really good question. Increasingly, I think it's a coaching issue uh, largely mm. because what I think happens with coaches is, let, let's pick a sport, that one that I'm really familiar with a lot with swimming. So a coach will typically come into a pool and there's a whiteboard, big whiteboard, yep. and they'll write on the whiteboard, warm up, skills practice, fitness work, speed simulation training, warm down. That's more or less the structure of a lot of swimming programs around the world. A lot of programs generally warm up, skills and drills, some sort of fitness work, simulation uh, under a little bit of pressure and then cool downs, uh, stretching and so on. So that's more or less. 
Now, I think what happens is athletes look at that and go, okay, that's what I have to do. No, not if you're going to be successful. What an athlete needs to do is to look at that and go, how can I turn the training session into my training session? How do I take ownership Mm. and responsibility over that training? Now, if you're an athlete in that group who wants to go to a Grand Slam, who wants to play in a World Cup, who wants to go to an Olympic Games, if you're an athlete whose standards and aspirations are higher, whatever the coach has written, you've got to take the responsibility to say, well, I'm going to make this a bit tougher for myself. Mm. I'm going to take maybe fewer breaths or I'm going to do it faster or I'm going to be more focused on excellence in skill or I'm going to set targets for myself that are higher. I think Mm. one of the the reasons that happens is that if you're in a team sport particularly, coaches will set workouts for the average level. So if you've got 20 kids in a football squad, you set a training standard. Most coaches will say, well, what do I think they can do? You know, whereabouts, you know, 10 of these and 60% Mm. here. And I think the great ones go, yeah, that's good, but I'm going to make this a little more challenging I'm going to ask some what-if questions. You know, what if I did it with my left foot instead of my right foot? Mm. I think they're more engaged with it and they do it differently. The other thing is an experience thing that until you've actually gone to an Olympics or until you've gone to a Grand Slam and you Mm. know exactly what it looks like, I don't know you can set training standards. You you can set workouts, Mm. but not standards. So I think that's the difference Mm. is... If you've been to some world-class competitions and you've seen the nature of the the environment, which is really cutthroat and it's almost yep. war sometimes in some sports, I think if you've seen that, you realise that you have to make training difficult, set challenges, ask questions, give them problems to solve. Mm. The other thing is, and, and uh, it's something I talk about all the time, is even though my original training is in physiology, we're way yep. too focused on physiology. Physiology is the, anything I can see, I can count, yep. I can measure. We're yep. obsessed with that because I can see it and I can measure it. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. there's a wonderful line in swimming that says, don't count the laps, make every lap count. count. That's mm. where, again, I think this mindset of what we call competitive training or making training competitive i think that's that's where it comes from is that we're so obsessed with i mean the last time you spoke to a running coach a cycling coach a triathlon coach a swimming coach so the first questions they talk to each other are how far are your guys going each week uh, what yeah. how many how many <laughs> sessions are your guys we're we're fixed on physiology everybody mm. has to go mm. how much how hard how often that's the way we're wired. The real thing that matters is how engaged with your athletes. What focus did they give? How constant? How much did they concentrate on mm. skills when they were tired? How many? Yeah. And that's that's really where it's at. And I, I don't don't know we we cover that enough. We're really good mm. at prescribing physiology. We're not so good at preparing athletes to do what they need to do when and where it matters. Mm, mm, and that's 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 absolutely true that's absolutely true and you know that's what i 
also tell my athletes and, and I tell parents as well, and I know that eventually we're going to get to that, is that, you know, don't be overly fixated on just the things you can see. Oh, my child can run. Oh, my athlete can do this. Oh, my, you know, it's, it's, it's not all about that. There are so many intangibles, you know, that are not in those things that you can see. So I, I, I totally, I totally agree. And obviously we're going to get to that part of the discussion. Now you've mentioned the training with intensity, training like competition. What happens to the athlete who they're good at that, right? Training is not a problem. They can task themselves. They can challenge themselves. They can push themselves. But the difficulty that they have is in translating that training into the competition. So you see athletes who train amazing, right? In training, they're great. And of course, I, I, one perfect example is not, it's not, um, it's not a complete example is Asafa Powell in, in track and field, right? So that's a guy who, the lesser tournaments, I mean, he was blazing everybody. But for some reason, he gets the main thing and he wasn't able to do it. What do you say to the athlete who's training amazing, but they are not able to carry that into competition? And that, again, wonderful question. That there's a wonderful line that I, I, I've stolen from hmm. Craig Tiley, who runs the, the Australian Open Tennis. He's a very, very smart guy. And he says uh, that it's, it's no good coming up with a great solution to the wrong problem. Mm. And what I, what I think happens a lot, again, this physiology-driven environment yeah. that we're in, is that you see someone like Asafa Powell not performing, for example. The first thing people think of, well, it has to be a techniques thing. It has to be a, a yeah. let's get him back in the gym. Because I can measure that. I can say, well, he didn't perform this time. Let's do more starts and more power training because I can measure the number of starts and I can measure explosiveness and we can measure the number of squats and deadlifts and mm. power cleans and all those things that he might do in the gym. But that's only the solution if that's the problem. If the, the problem, problem is <laughs> if the problem is that he's, he doubts his ability, if the problem is mm. he's paying too much attention to the people around him, if the problem is that there's a little boy inside him that just doubts his ability to be world-class. And a great story I like, I was working with a professional football team here. So we've got, we have four football codes. We have Australian mm. rules football. We have yeah. rug, rugby union. We have rugby league, which is like rugby yeah. union, but a, a little different. different and of course, yeah. and of course we've got football. And, mm. but Football is different in all the different states of Australia. So if I go mm. down to the south of Australia, down to Victoria, and I say football, they think it's Australian rules football, not football football. Mm. So it's a bit confusing. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> but I was working with a rugby league team. So they're professional players getting paid up to a million dollars a year. So it's a big sport for us mm. here. And we had a player who was phenomenal in training, was just brilliant. And... We would go to a, a game, and he was terrible. He just he, he was awful under pressure, made mistakes. Yeah. He would, if he made a mistake, he would then compound that by mm. dropping out of the defensive line and making it even worse. And th there were so many mental and emotional issues. Now, we did mm. what you would expect. We tried to coach him through it. We tried to help him with self-esteem, with self-belief. Mm. We did a whole range of mental skills work with him. After about six months, we got him to an actual psychiatrist, and it turned mm. out 
that this poor young man had had a lot of issues in his childhood around an abusive parent who would hit him for not doing... And so even though he was a man and even though he was playing in a professional men's sport, under pressure, who he is as a human being, which we know is Mm. largely formed by about age 10, who he was as a human being, that little boy was still there. And yeah. the, he, his actual self-esteem, his, his, his ability to love himself and accept himself was so poor, it was only exposed under real pressure. In training mm. where there was no pressure and he was fast and skillful, not a problem. So it wasn't until we really understood the problem that we could help yeah. him. And I think sometimes, again, for inexperienced coaches, they try to solve everything with training more. Yeah. When you've been around a little bit, you go, well, hang on a little minute. Let's take a breath. What's yeah. really going on here? And I, look, I'm lucky that I can, I've can. i been around for enough that I can solve a lot of problems for athletes. Mm-hmm. But I've mm-hmm. got a great team. I've got a psychiatrist. I've got a psychologist. I've got a nutritionist. I've got a, I've got a, a, a team of people that if I go, no, this is outside my skill level that yeah. I can ring up Richard, psychologist, mm-hmm. and I say, Richard, I've got someone, I'm not sure what's going on here. I'm not really yeah. sure, and I'm not, I can't help this athlete the way I'd like to. Can you meet with him for a while? And I, I think you've got to be smart enough as a coach to know where your own limits are and have yeah. a team of people who can help athletes. But, yeah, that's, but if, if I'm dealing with an athlete who's not performing in competition, it's, it's a process of trying to understand why and sometimes, you know, it's, it's simplifying it. You know, sometimes, yeah. you know, they might go to, I don't know, all African championships and they've got a routine and then they go to the Olympics mm-hmm. and they change. They do something different because they think the Olympics are different or they think the world championships, mm. th- there's no difference. You've got to get on the track and run nine, six and win. That's, that's yeah. what they've got to do. There is, that's all it is. It's, the track mm. is still 100 metres long. Same the thing. lanes mm. are the same width. The wind conditions are standardised. Everything's the same. The only difference is the way you perceive it. In the mind. Yeah, so mm. we bring it all back in and just get them to be calm, relaxed. Relaxation, my friend, is an underrated skill. One of the yep. most important things we can teach athletes is relaxation. It was. It, I actually learnt this a long time ago from a seminar by Carl Lewis, the great American sprinters yeah. coach. Carl Lewis's coach said this, and it's one of the greatest lines I've ever heard in sport. He said, the faster you want to go, the more relaxed you have to be. To be. And he mm. said, when you're, and it was a great lesson, he said, because when you're a little kid and your parents say, run fast, you go like this, you go. Mm. And he said, it's the opposite. If it's swimming or running or whatever it is, your brain needs to have an association between moving very, very quickly, but staying very relaxed and smooth yeah. and easy and effortless. And mm. it, was an, it was an amazing session. And I've never forgotten that because I think what happens a lot with athletes is they try too hard, yeah. which slows them down. <laughs> There's a big difference between effort and speed or trying mm. and speed. It should be effortless, not trying move quicker and i think mm. a lot of athletes again they get to a national they get to a big competition like again going back to someone like Powell, they've got the physical ability they've got the commitment they've got the technique they've got the skill 
but I think in the environment they get tense, they get tight, yeah, yeah. and that's yeah. what kills them. Whereas if we teach them mm. to relax, to meditate, to breathe, so that then they can just do the amazing things that they've trained to do. Mm, mm, oh, that's it. That's it. That's a fabulous answer in terms of relaxation. Because obviously, um, for a lot of athletes, they feel that if they are slow, you know, then they are not prepared. If they are slow, they are not ready. How can I be this relaxed, you know, on the eve of this tournament? Something must be wrong. And then they try to change uh, this routine, yeah. something that they've mastered. You know, so it, it, it makes a, a lot of sense. I, I didn't want to forget this. I wanted to digress a little bit just quickly because of your swimming background, you know, and, and talk about Michael Phelps. I was, I was, I, um, this was, I mean, years ago, I saw the interview that he did where in the preparation to the Athens Olympic Games, he trained consecutively for about four or five years or thereabout. You know, wh what does it take for an athlete to do something like that, to have that level of commitment where I know swimming is pretty intense and you have to, you know, you have to clog a lot of hours in the pool. But what kind of mentality do you have to be able to train consistently for years every single day, being, being someone from a swimming background? Yeah, it, it, it's every time I meet a great athlete or a great coach, I hear exactly the same story. Phelps is not mm. unique. I was in 2019, I was in England. And again, because it's sport is a small world, I knew yeah. somebody who was tied up with the FA. And I went to watch Manchester United play Cardiff at Old Trafford mm. in the final game of Premier League for that season. And I sat next to uh, a Scottish man who was one of Sir Alex Ferguson's recruiters during the time he was oh, wow. in charge. And we talked a lot about uh, stuff. And I said, well, what was Ronaldo like when he was here? And Cristiano mm -hmm. Ronaldo, what was he like yep. when he was there the first time? And he said, he said even when the kid was here as a, an, I think, 18, 19-year-old, he yep. said at the end of training, he would go over to the, the practice field and he would practice kicking goals at the end of training by himself. And we had a great rugby player here called Matt Gitto. He was an amazing, wonderful player. Yeah, I know Matt, yeah. And at the end of training, when he was with the Wallabies or the Western Force, and I, mean, and I saw this myself, everybody would be inside having a shower and recovering, and Matt would get a big garbage bin full of rugby balls, throw them around the field, and wherever they landed, he'd stop, and he'd practice goals by himself. Mm. We had to talk to him one day that the team was supposed to have Wednesday's rest and recovery. <laughs> I, I, had to, I had to discipline him because he trained on his day off. So <laughs> you see this pattern over and over again. There's a story that Phelps and his coach Bob Bowman tell as well is that Michael would quite often go to the pool by himself on Sunday and swim mm. 10,000 metres, 10 kilometres by himself same pattern yeah. and when when he was asked why do you do that he said i mean listen to this mindset you, you asked mindset mm -hmm. he said it means that when every swimmer in the world is asleep i'm getting a ten thousand meter head start on them for the week mm. he said it also means that think about this for a moment he said it means that i've got an eight day training week so he's mm. convinced himself that by me, again, taking ownership and responsibility for my own destiny, he's convinced himself that that 10,000 metres is an edge. 
And he said, you know, everywhere in the world, my competitors are getting up on Monday morning to try and beat me. Yeah. When they've swum one right. lap, I've already yeah. done 10,000 metres. And it's mm. it, that, that pattern, everywhere where I see a great athlete, and look, I've been lucky to talk to NFL players and NBA and so many different people over the year. And you, when, you, when you ask them what, they, what was their process to get to here, the story is generally, I decided, me, I chose, I chose to be exceptional, which meant mm. I had to do things more, I had to do things better, uh, I had to, to be willing to do more than the average player. And mm. that, to me, is the key. If they're in that mindset where they go, there's a great line, again, I like, like sayings, the great phrase that goes, if it is to be, it is up to me. Mm. And... Coaches are guides and parents are guides. But in the end, if you say, I want to play for Manchester United, you've got to be prepared to do more, to do it when it's raining, to do it when you're tired, to, yeah. to set higher standards. That's the pattern that I see all over the world. Mm, mm, and that, that, that's amazing. I, I was going to ask you, you know, how the athletes um, um, develop that type of mindset, but we'll, we'll leave that for now. You, we, we've mentioned Phelps, you've mentioned Margito, and obviously I'm sure that there are an array of athletes, elite athletes, you know, that you've worked with over the years. What would you say was one common theme that these athletes struggle with? And, I, and I'll explain why I'm asking this question. You know, I've seen young athletes who feel, and you've alluded to this a little bit, you know, just in the few things you've said, that, you know, these this elite athletes, yes, they are special, but they are not that special. They are just as human as you and I. All the things you are doing, they can do. All the things that they are doing, you can also do as well. But... I feel like these young athletes, they get this perception that these guys are from another world. So for all these athletes you've worked with, all these elite athletes, what's one common struggle, mental struggle, physical struggle, whichever one it is, that you saw that was more or less like a common theme with majority of them? Maybe not all of them, but majority of them. Yeah, I would say the most common thing is they, they put too much emphasis on winning and losing. And what I mean mm. by that is, what I find the great athletes, they hate losing. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. But what the great ones do is, whether they win or they lose, they treat it, there's a line in Kipling's poem, if, if you can deal with winning and losing and treat those imposters the same. It's a wonderful line from, from uh, literature. And what I find the best athletes do is they go, Man, I lost. Oh, I hate losing. Oh, it's, mm -hmm. it's okay to get angry. But then what the yeah. best athletes will do is that winning and losing are learning. And they'll go, oh, I hate it when I lose. Oh, I'm so angry. I'm going to train really hard tomorrow. What most athletes will do is they'll lose and go, oh, I hate losing. It's so awful. There must be something wrong with me. What am I doing wrong? Mm. It's a different... The, the better athletes mm. realize that Winning and losing are opportunities to learn and get better. I know I tell the rugby, I, I tell a lot, this story a lot to rugby coaches about why a team like the All Blacks have been so good for so long and, mm. and, and why the great teams are so good. Because if the All Blacks win by 50 on the yeah. Monday morning, they review the video, they have a meeting about what did they learn, 
how can they get better for the week and train. Mm-hmm. If they lose by 50, they meet on Monday morning, they review the video, they plan on how they can get better. Winning or losing makes no difference mm. to the process of getting better. Everything's about getting better. There's a, a, a the commitment to just learning, improvement, and mm-hmm. getting better is what you mm. see with the great athletes. The athletes, in reference to your question, the people who struggle, they put too much emphasis yeah. on winning and losing. That's Winning and losing is for the, the punters. Winning and losing is yeah. for, the, it's, it's for the people in the stands, for the people who yeah. buy the shirts, the, the media. For them, they get excited about winning and losing mm. and they write rubbish in the papers. And that's why we teach athletes to ignore what's in the newspapers. And, cause, yes. Because for most people, they think sport's winning and losing. For the mm. great athletes... If I win, I learn, I get better. If I lose, I learn, I get better. Everything's about how do I get better and continually improve. I think the Mm. athletes who are too invested, their emotions are too tied to winning and losing. They're on the roller coaster. They they always struggle because everything's tied to their performance rather than Mm. everything is tied to how do I learn and how do I improve. It's a valid point. Turning it inward that something must be wrong with me, must be something I'm doing wrong. And of course, that's where this trial and error system comes in. So you, you have a system that's working, but because there was a little chink in the armor, something went wrong on this particular day, you, you kind of scramble the entire thing because there yes. must be something wrong, wrong with you. Very, very perfect analogy, and I completely agree. Talking about the coaches now, Wayne, and, and the, the angle that I want to take this from is because obviously, you know, every coach, just like the athlete, must take their education personally. And we've all obviously alluded to the fact that there's too much emphasis on the physical, physiology, training and, and all of that. What happens to the athletes? And the reason I'm asking this is this is a problem we face in Africa, right? You see a lot of people. I know it happens abroad, but it's not as prevalent. You see a lot of coaches who are coaching because they don't have anything else to do. Right, it's not like um, they're passionate about it. It's not like they are on a quest, right, to to change the game in their country or whatever. It's like, hey, I don't have anything else to do. I might as well coach, you know, and start and start working with athletes. What can an athlete do where there's a coaching problem, right? In the sense that you, you kind of have an idea that this coach is not um, is not a student of the game. Like they don't really get it. They don't really understand it. How do you approach that as an athlete? Because it's more or less like the athlete being in a, in a dilemma. It's a difficult situation, for mm. particularly for a young athlete, to deal with. Because in any situation that you've got, in any relationship, you've got three choices. You've got, mm. I can accept this, yep. I can change this, or I've got to leave this. So if you're mm. in a job that you don't like, you can go, oh, well, they pay the bills, I'm not happy, but, you know, it's not a big deal. After work, I go for a run, and I love my children, and um, it's only a job. So I can accept it. If I can't accept it, can I change it? Can I go to the boss and say, look, I'm not really happy. You're not paying me enough money. The work's not interesting. I'm not excited by being here. I'm feeling too much pressure. Boss Mm. says, tough luck. That's the way it is. (laughs) Well, then then you can leave. I think I, I, I say to athletes, go through the same process. Go, what is it exactly I don't like? Is it mm. they don't talk to me the right way? Is it the training's too hard? Is it they don't know enough, I think, about 
what I'm trying to achieve. What is it? And then you make the decision. Oh, well, yeah, well, it's okay, but I like my training friends. It's convenient for me to be here. Mm. I can accept. If you can't accept it, the toughest bit is the next bit, is how do I approach my coach and talk about the way I'm feeling? The, yeah. the, the trick is, or the key is, don't do it at the training session. Is mm. write to the coach or go up and say, excuse me, coach, I'm wondering if I could meet you for a coffee. Or I'm wondering if you're a child, to do that with mum and dad, obviously. But if I was a 18, 19-year-old athlete, to say, coach, could I meet you for a coffee? Could I have, Can you spare me five minutes? I'd like to talk to you about something that's important. I was talking to a young American athlete about this the other day, actually. And I, I said, if you're going to talk to your coach, write down the things that yeah. you want to talk about. Because it's such an imposing moment to stand yeah. in front of your coach <laughs> who you maybe have a fear about mm-hmm. retaliation mm-hmm. or let's hope not. But so mm-hmm. sit down beforehand and think about it and write down a list of questions or write down the issues. And so that when the coach says, yeah, what do you want to talk about? That you go, coach, there's some things that are important to me. I'd like to share them with you. And you go through your list and the, it's then it's up to the coach. If the coach goes, that's a load of rubbish. I'm not, well, they've made it very clear that yeah. they, they, they don't respect the relationship with you to enough, then you can make a decision to leave. I think a lot of people, you know, again, this don't come up with a good solution to the wrong problem. I think a lot of people go, I'm not happy at training, therefore it's a coach's fault and I'm going to leave. You yeah. need to go through it. Well, what is it really? Is it the mm. coach's fault? Is it the fact that my teammates, we don't have a great team culture? Uh, what's the actual problem? So... Mm. can I accept it? If I can't accept it, can I change it? If I can't change it, then you've got to make a decision to leave. And I think far far too many people go, I'm not happy, I'm going to give up the sport. Mm. But there's so many other options than walking away from sport. And the last thing we want is kids walking away from sport. So accept, change, leave. Mm. How does an athlete build that relationship with their a coach? Rather, how do they build that relationship with their athlete? Because I've seen a lot of coaches, you know, who feel, you know, just like you said, the, the athlete, you know, creates a list of things they want to discuss with their coach. The minute they mention the first line, oh, that's a load of rubbish and thing, where they feel like they need to have this authority figure, you know, over their athletes. And and you know, I can speak to the testament of building relationships with your athletes you know i have athletes who i coach who are no longer playing the sport you know but they still come to me for advice you know yeah. i need your help on this i need your assistance and i'm like I'm, I'm no longer coaching you like why do you come to me and they're like oh it's because of the way you treated me because of the way you yep. helped me do this how can a coach build a relationship with the athlete is by listening and understanding that it's if i if i'm focused on one thing in the moment it's this is Mm. my definition of coaching is it's the art of inspiring change through emotional connection. The difference between a coach and a trainer is that a trainer Mm. writes a training session and delivers a training session. Coaching is an emotional connection. It's a relationship. It's it's based on understanding. It's based Mm. on understanding the needs and the motivations of the athlete. That's, That's, and more than ever, we know that's true. We know that there was a great bit of research came out late last year on one of the absolute keys to sport. Uh, kids are having a good f- a time. They feel they've got friends and that they belong in the group. And very important, 
they feel that the coach understood their motivation for being there. There was some work mm. done by an Australian researcher who had a Churchill scholarship, and I've just read the paper. It's very, very good. And that, that was his discovery, was where programs are working, the athletes feel that they're having a good time, they've got friends mm. and they belong where they are, belonging's a big part of it, and that the coach understood their motivation, their why, if you like. I talk about why, mm. why, and why is mm. why important. You've got to understand why. That the coach understands their why. If the coach understands why the athlete is there, you can build a great relationship. I'll, I'll give you an example. In what I call the old days, because I'm 61, but in the old days, an athlete walks into the pool and you go, this is my program. I'm yeah. an Olympic coach <laughs> and you're going to train like an Olympic athlete and there is no option. That's what you're going to do because it was all about us as coaches. We mm. thought wrongly, but that's what we thought at the time, that yeah. I create a program and everyone who walks in does my program. Mm. What we see now is an athlete walks in and says, I say, welcome. How can I help you? What would you like? And if the athlete says, look, I don't want to be a swimmer. I just want to, I'm a triathlete and I just want to do two or three sessions a week to help me improve my, tri well, that's perfectly yep. fine because that's their motivation. That's their mm. why. That's what's in their heart. Mm. That's mm. what they want from me. And that's the beginning of the relationship we have is that they've talked to me about their needs. I've understood that. I've listened and respected yeah. them. And I've created an environment to help them achieve their goals. The old way is I'm going to impose my will and my goals yeah. on you, whether on you, you want it or not. Mm. That old style of coaching is dying. And it's the sooner it's in the ground buried with a cross on top of it, the better. Because mm. It's, mm. It, it's really hurt sport. But, you know... I've been a coach educator since the mid-80s. I've been doing... A lot of it is our fault. A lot of it is the people who yeah. run coaching courses and mm -hmm, coaching sure. training. That's what we've set it up as. We've said, you set the program, you periodize. We've, 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 we've taught coaches how to be very good at program writing and periodization. We haven't been very good at coaching courses and coaching training to say, mm. we're going to show you how to build relationships. We're going to show you how to connect, engage, and inspire the hearts and minds of athletes. We're going to show mm. you how to create a learning environment in your training yeah. program. Yeah. All we've shown them to do is physiology, periodization, and skills and drills. And mm. what I'm seeing now that really gets me excited around the world is more and more the coach educators are talking relationships and are talking about mm. connecting with athletes and inspiring athletes and listening to athletes. So that story you told about your athletes, your former athletes asking you for for advice. I've been in the last five years or so, I've been to three weddings of wow. girls girls that I used to coach, and it's one of the most beautiful moments you can you can have, isn't it? That that twenty years after you coach them. They're asking you to come to their wedding, their most special day, to be there and share that love with their friends and family. Yeah. And, and I, I remember getting up in, in Australia a few years ago and dancing at mm. the end of the night with two of the girls that I coached <laughs> when they were 11 and 12. And, and yeah. I, was, I was up there with the bride and the groom.
and one of the other girls from the team and her husband and the six of us were up dancing around at a, at their wedding and mm. you went I got it right with these two but you don't always get it right but I got yeah. it right with these two because of the impact and the influence you've had on their life mm. Mm. Uh, that, 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 that's a good one and you know one, one story that comes to mind just as you mentioned that uh, and this would obviously lead us into um, the sports parents angle is, you know, I remember when my, my daughter was learning to swim, you know, and she was so afraid of the water. So I used to take her to the, to the national stadium here in Lagos, you know, to, to learn how to swim when eventually, you know, she watched one of these cartoons where one of these people were swimming and, you know, she, she literally wanted to swim. So I took her to the facility and there was this club, a swimming club, very popular swimming club here in Lagos, you know, that usually trained there on the Saturday morning. Every Saturday morning, they usually train there. And from the minute you get into the facility, the only thing you are hearing is the voice of the coaches <laughs> screaming and shouting, yeah. right? You're not doing your reps right. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. And the, 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 the first thing, being in the sports performance field, the first thing I'm looking around for, that's why I said it will lead us into the, the sports parents, is where are the parents of these kids when this guy is just yelling at the top of his voice at them, and these are, you know, kids who are what, 11, 12, some of them even nine, even nine years old. And of course, it's a, I, I just, as you mentioned that, you know, that story just came to mind that, you know, when those athletes are much older, that's not the coach they are calling that I'm getting married, right? You know, come, come to my wedding because they're going to remember how he was screaming at the top of his voice. You're never going to amount to anything. Is this how you want to be swimming at the Olympics? You know, awful statements. You know, that this coach, you know, screams to these players and they believe that, of course, that's the way that the athlete is, is going to learn. And that, that dovetails into the sports parenting part, Wayne. For parents who are witnessing things like that, what, what, what are they supposed to do? Yeah, it's, it, it, it's embarrassing to me mm. to, when I see that because when, when I talk to coaches, particularly swimming coaches, because it's not mm. the most exciting sport in the world sometimes, yeah. Yeah. but <laughs> I, I've got some guidelines for coaches where I say to them, if the kids are swimming three kilometres in the session, you have to walk four kilometres in the session. Unless mm. you've got an impairment, obviously. But, but for mo most coaches, if you say we're going to swim three kilometres, you must walk four kilometres. Not exact figures. But the principle yeah. is you've got to give them more than you ask of them. When I see coaches standing at the end of the pool, looking at their stopwatch and yelling at mm. kids, I hate it with every fibre of my being <laughs> because what, it, what it's, it's showing that I think swimming is times and laps. And mm. well, no, it, like every sport, it's about human beings. That's what we do. We yeah. shape and we change and we inspire the hearts and minds of other human beings. That's, that's why we're in it, really. When I see coaches like that, the first thing I think about is they were probably trained to do that. That's unfortunately mm. the default around the world. And even in Australia and the United States, I can say in UK, the majority of coaches are still what we call tell and yell. They, mm. they have to tell. They talk too much. Yeah. And... And if they don't get the result they want, they yell. So they, they talk too much and they talk too loud because mm. without a relationship with someone, if, if you don't understand them, 
it's like I'd say it's like people with who speak different languages. I've been to Africa a lot. I haven't been to Lagos, but I've been to Namibia. I've been to Zim many mm. many times. I've been to um, South Africa a lot, and but when a coach is, is if the only thing they do is telling and yelling, it's like two people from who don't speak each other's language. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I'm walking down the main street of Lagos, <laughs> someone comes up to me and and speaks with their local dialect mm-hmm. and I don't understand. So they speak louder. And they because mm-hmm. they go, if I speak louder, the guy will understand Maybe. me. And then they speak louder. And I still don't get it. Well, it's because, but if they went, hang on, I think this guy's an Australian. Mm-hmm. He only speaks English. There's another way we can communicate here. But if you don't understand where the yeah. other person's coming from, that's what we tend to do as coaches is we t- just keep mm. repeating ourselves yeah. and talk louder and louder and louder and louder. Mm. Whereas with those coaches and the coaches I see around the world, if it's based on connection, engagement, motivation, understanding motivation, understanding each other, then there's no mm. need for the yelling. I, I, I know the best coaches that I see in the world, even swimming coaches, you never hear their voices because they yeah. don't need they don't need to. Mm. That th- mm. they will. One of the best coaches that I've ever seen it was an Australian coach called Laurie Lawrence, long time ago. But he's he's still around. Coaches little kids here. But what Laurie would do is during a training session, he would mm. and and this guy trained multiple Olympic gold medalists and. He would get the kids out of the water on deck and he would talk quietly to them for 30 seconds. Mm. Where So most coaches will go, come on, you've got to do this and do more. And they're waving yeah. their hands around. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, waste of time. That he, Laurie would get the kids out and he'd eye to eye, soul to soul. Yeah. And he'd say something like, son, you know, you could do better here, can't you? Yes, coach. What do you think you can do now? Yeah, that's a great... Come on, let's get back in the water. And you and I... And he'd walk along the side of the pool with him for a mm. couple of minutes to say, I'm with you. And you and I are doing this together. That's that's coaching. And I remember when I saw him do it the first time and coming from a physiology background a long time back, as yeah. I said, I said, what about their heart rate, coach? And he said, great, beautiful line. He said, don't put heart rate in front of heart mm. and it was a wonderful line he said he said if the heart rate drops who cares if it drops yeah. 20 beats who cares at that moment i had a chance to mm. change that kid's life and heart as in heart to heart human being communication is far more important than a little bit of physiology mm. and i think again that's a message i give to coaches everywhere is Physiology is important. Training is important. Of course it is. Absolutely. You've got to do the hard work. But the things that are really going to matter are relationship-based and connection-based. Mm. And if you see a coachable moment to make a difference to the life of the athlete, you've got to grab it. Mm. And you can worry about the heart rate and the other stuff later on. Well, so, yeah, look, it's yeah. sad. In terms of what parents can do, parents can most important thing parents can do is love, value, and accept their children for who they are. Mm. And if mm. the kids if the kids know that they're loved and they're accepted for who they are as human beings and they're valued for who they are and not for what they do, if mm-hmm. they've got that stability of, of that emotional confidence 
behind them, then if they're getting yelled at by someone else, it doesn't affect them quite so much. Where the mm. kids, where the mm. kids are, they're not. The kids are not being loved. The kids don't love themselves. They're not comfortable mm. and confident in themselves. They're very sus. They're very susceptible. Yeah. To criticism, they're very cri- susceptible to being yelled at in environments like coaching and teaching mm. and other places. So the way parents can help, they can't get involved. They can't really go down and tell the coach to shut up because uh, coaches <laughs> do, coaches don't like that. But what they can do is just be that rock for their children, mm. that unbreakable source of unconditional love. So the child gets mm. out feeling a little bit shaken, but the, they know they're loved and they're valued that they've got that caring, supportive environment around them and they can deal with anything. I think that goes for all of mm. us. If, if By the age of about 10, if you know with certainty that I'm loved and I'm valued and I love me for me, you can deal with just about anything that life throws at you. Those, mm. of, those of us, those of your listeners as well, those of us that deal with teenagers who know how they struggle with emotions so yeah. many of them are, are struggling because of they don't feel loved and they can't find mm. anything to love about themselves and they don't feel accepted for who they are. They feel they've got yeah. to prove themselves all the time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was a long answer to that question, but I, I get very, mm. I get really angry when I still see that standing at yeah. the end of the pool yelling thing. I, it's just terrible. It's got to stop. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, it's a, it's, a, it's a great answer you give as well. I'll, I'll give you a backstory to this post-parenting angle and why I am so passionate about it. From the African context, right, you have, you have parents. So the way it traditionally worked in Africa was you had parents who never wanted to hear anything about sports, right? You played sports, you were in trouble. It was the kids who were on serious who played sports. It was the kids who would never amount to anything in life who played sports, right? That, that, that was the whole ideology that had been passed down from generation to generation. And then, of course, you come to this advent of money trickling into sports. And it's interesting that I was having this conversation with um, Linda Flanagan, I, I think a few weeks back, when you know, I saw a book and we were having a chat about it. And now, you now have the money that has flown into sports, you know, the likes of Ronaldo, Messi, LeBron James, earning this enormous amount of money for being athletes. So you have now had that shift from the parents who sports was a no-no, right? In their house, you couldn't even talk about it. You couldn't even say you wanted to play sports to the, ad, to the parents now switching completely to the fact that their children must be athletes, right? To earn this type of money, you know, that these athletes nowadays are now earning. That's what made me go into this because I felt like, you know, it, it's a problem, that you are creating for yourself and your children where you are now more or less forcing them, you know, to be athletes. But this is where I want to ask the question, Wayne, and I want to get your thoughts on this. As parents, we are intentional about so many things that our children do. We are intentional about the schools they go to. We are intentional about the friends they keep. We are intentional about the kind of foods that they eat. In a situation where a parent wants to be intentional about sports, so not forcing them to play sports, but intentional about sports, how do they go about it? Yeah, that's the that's the hundred million dollar question I always <laughs> um, I always think about. The 
the short answer is to understand that for all of us, mm-hmm. what we're going to be good at is what we love doing. That's yeah. that's the simplest thing. Mm. That and I, uh, there was a, there's a great Australian. Believe it or not, we play football here. We do go to the World Cup, but <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, you are the World Cup. <laughs> but we have a, a, a former our national team's called the Socceroos, and one mm. of the one of the Socceroos was telling a story that uh, him and I were doing a seminar to a group of. 16-year-old players going to the national championships, the Australian mm. schools under-16s or under-17s football championship. And we were talking to a group of young boys going to the national championships. And I did a talk about what you and I spoke about a little bit earlier about the way they train is the way they'll play and, and some yeah. other things. Anyway, he got up and he did a wonderful talk and I've never forgotten it and I wish I would have recorded it. But he said to the boys, he said, I've played Scottish Premier League, I've played Premier League, I've played Bundesliga, I've played mm. 70 games for the Socceroos, and I was captain of the Socceroos for 20 international matches. Why do you think that happened? And, of course, the boys go, because you're the most talented. And he said, he said <laughs> no, he said, um, he said, I was a right back, uh, right side back. He said, backs aren't talented. And he said, anyone else got any ideas? And they said... You worked hard. He said, well, yes, I worked hard. He said, I used to dribble the ball to school uh-huh. instead of catching the bus. He said, that's true. He said, but why? Why did... And he said, because I've been in this room, boys. He said, I've gone to the national championships as a 16-year-old. And of the squad, of the, of the 18 people in the squad, of the 18 of us who went to the 16-year-old national championships, I'm the only one who played professional football. So again, why? Mm. Why do you think me... And the kids, you know, because you trained harder and you did, he said, you yeah. know why? Because I love football. So that's all I thought about. When I was 16, I studied the magazines. On Sunday afternoon on my days off, when I wasn't coaching, I'd ring all my friends and organise a soccer game at the local park. Mm. He said, the reason I was successful is I just fell in love with football. And I tell parents that story. I say doesn't matter if you want them to be LeBron James. If they hate basketball, it's not going to happen. <laughs> they might be, they might be 2.4 metres tall and play basketball, but they're still not going to be great if they don't love having a ball and bouncing it mm. constantly. Mm. If they're not in love with what they do, as soon as mm. life becomes a bit difficult, as soon as yeah. girls or boys come along, as soon as they want to earn money, as soon as life catches up with them, if they're not in love with what they do, they go, I don't need that anymore. I'm not going to do Mm. it. As soon as they get old enough to go from respecting and obeying mum and dad to being themselves and speaking up, they say, I don't want to do that anymore. And, and they move. That's, and it's, look, a lot of people are really critical of parents and I've been very critical of, of, and I've got four children. Mm. And most parents act out of love, even when they do really dumb things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah even <true. laughs> even when they even when they yell at referees, and even when they 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 uh, you know tennis parents showing their kids videos of training at dinner yeah. time, which I've seen, and yeah. <laughs> you know all those things that happen. 
even when they're doing really dumb things, they're acting out of love. They genuinely mm. want their kids to do well. And I say to the parents, you've got to understand that even though you love them and you would love to see them successful, if it's not what's in their heart, if it's not what they love, it's not going to happen. They'll get the mm. 14 or 15 or 16 and they'll, they'll just, when it's no longer about size and strength and talent, when it's about yeah. desire, passion, commitment, dedication, when all those things become more important than the physiology, if your kids are not in love with it and they don't have those qualities in place, they're not mm. going to make it. They might be really good. What I think happens with, t- with some talented kids is that they might be in a small village or a small city and yeah. they're, they're winning easily. So mum and dad yeah. go, wow, yeah. this is but one but. step away from the NBA. <laughs> and they, they get really excited about it. And the, everyone's telling the kid that they're really talented. They, they start to believe they're really talented. And then they go to national championships and they get destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or they go internationally and they get destroyed. And because they've, they've quite often they're coming through based on I'm doing this because mm. I'm so good in this little area or I'm so good yeah. in this little town without understanding well that's great but you've still got to train better than anyone in the country you've still got to be Mm. committed you've got to watch your diet you've got to sleep well there that's part of it as well i think the early developers get an accelerated sense that Mm. that they're better than they think they are there's expectation and then once they run up into an obstacle because i think a lot of parents think that if you're good here at 10 years of age you're better at 11 better at 12 better at 13 Better at 15, keep going. It doesn't work like that, as it you know. <laughs> it's like that. Some some years you're awful. Some years you're brilliant. Some years you're awful. Yeah. Some years you're just here. Some years you're incredible. Some years you have injuries. Damn. That's that's critical for parents to understand. And the key part about that is that when you have a really low time or a really great time, when you're at doing well or doing poorly, mm-hmm. that's when your character and your values, and your virtues, mm. and your love of what you do is just critically important. And if they haven't got that, no matter how much physical talent they've got, they're not going to make it. And mm. I've been talking about this since 1992. And every new group of parents, they listen yeah. to me, they sit there and nod their head, and then they com- <laughs> they completely ignore what I'm telling them. Because they'll tell you. Cause I, but I had this kid... Um, I was talking to a kid in New Zealand, a parent in New Zealand uh, last year, and and they came up and said, Wayne, this is little Johnny, and he's just broken the under 10 years 50 backstroke record. This, <laughs> you know, and they were so excited that this kid was, you know, was so fast at 10 years of age. He was bigger than me, but yeah. but they, they were so excited, and, and there were so many things wrong with that because... Instead of saying, this is our wonderful son who loves swimming and he's doing really mm-hmm. well, it was, this is our son, the backstroker. Mm-hmm. So they've already yeah. labelled this kid. So the kid's going, I'm a backstroker, I'm a backstroker, I'm a mm. backstroker. As the kid grows and their limb lengths change and their proportions change and their their coordination changes, they may not be able to do backstroke anymore. Yeah. But they've labelled themselves and their parents have labelled themselves as a backstroker and as soon as that kid can't backstroke anymore, he says, hang on, who am I? 
and they, yeah. they have an issue around identity and and confidence. And mm. I'm at the stage now when a parent shows me this brilliantly talented, amazingly gifted young kid, I almost feel sorry for the kid because mm. what 30, 40 years in this business has taught me is it's incredibly likely that that kid's not even going to be playing sport at 14 or 15. Yeah. And that's a tragedy. But because of its over, we, we overpriced one of my great mentors, uh, the great Australian coach Don Talbot, used to say, don't worship physical talent. And mm. it's, a, it's a beautiful, and he said, we seriously in sport and worship yes. for people with faith. I know it's a very strong word, but, but it, listen to the, the intent in the words that I'm, 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 I'm sharing is don't worship physical talent because talent. as coaches and parents, we see this big, strong, incredibly gifted kid, and they go, this is the one. This is yeah. the kid. This is the Michael Phelps story all over again. <laughs> this is the Jordan story. This is the David Beckham story. This is yeah. the, you know, um, the, the Mo Salah story. This, you know, we're looking at that kid going, wow, that's mm. the one. That's, because <laughs> we see physical talent, and we just, it blows our mind. We're so yeah. excited about it. Yeah. Whereas you and I know, what I'd be impressed with is that kid saying to coach at the end of training, coach, uh, do you need some help cleaning up after training? Mm. Or, hey, coach, I'm not comfortable with my uh, goal kicking at the moment. Could I mm. stay back with you and work on my striking for 15 minutes? When I see that, that's when I get excited because it means mm. that the kid loves what they're doing so much and they have so much respect for their environment yeah. and that's that's the type of thing that's going to make that's the Ronaldo kicking kickball Matt mm. Giddo kicking mm. after practice Phelps doing the 10,000 metres when I see that in young athletes I go wow okay now I'm excited when mm. I see physical talent I go yeah, it's here nor there Mm. It's, it's interesting that you mentioned that because there's this analogy that I always give parents, you know, when I run them through um, a parenting training, which I always ask them. So I play them a video of a seven year old boy, just like you said, who is amazing, talented or quote unquote talented and doing all of those things. And then I ask them, I say, is this talent or ability? And I wait for them to answer. Yeah. And nine out of the 10 parents will say, this is talent, this is talent, this is talent, this is talent. You know, and then I then tell them, and I'm like, that's not talent, that's ability. Now, every seven-year-old will grow up differently. You can start talking to me about talent when he's 16, 17, he's playing with people who are equal size to him, equal strength, equal ability, and then he can still exhibit the things that he's exhibiting. You know, it's just like you, you because you can dunk, you, you give that example as well. Because you can dunk in your neighborhood, right? You think that you're the next best thing. And then you get to the NBA and you realize that everybody can dunk. Like dunking in the NBA yeah. is not a special skill or it's not a special talent uh, at all. Now, the time is fast spent, literally. And, I, you know, and I'm looking at it and I'm like, where did all the time even go? But, but just quickly, Wayne, how can parents help their children fall in love with sports? If fun is the key thing... How can they help them do that? Yeah, great question. Play with your children. That's mm. the that's the best advice. The 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 two stories I've got that I and I can these are personal stories that I can share with you. Mm. My sixteen year old son, even this morning at about ten minutes, he's going to school to go and practice football at school. He's in the final year of mm. high school, 
and he oh. does love football and I don't know where his football will go. I don't really care because he yeah. loves it. <laughs> and um, and we, but I know that when when he was eight, nine, and ten, we used to go down to the local park on a Sunday morning, and we used to play. And we seriously, mm. we we'd go against each other, and he'd push me out of the way, and he'd yeah. call me a fat old man, and and <laughs> and it was just crazy stuff. And it was. And he and he in the, when he was little, I could beat him obviously as dad's can. And then mm-hmm, he got mm-hmm. so excited that he could dance around me. And now I, I couldn't get the ball off him with a shotgun. He's just yeah. He's he's become really scared. But it, it's still fun. One of the other fathers used to go to the park and put cones out on a Sunday morning, mm. and and make the kid the eight, nine, ten year old kid do drills, and then used to set up goals and used to simulate doing goal practice. And then mm. used to make the kid do sprints. Now, both of us love our sons desperately. We love yeah. them more than we want our next breath. But the way that I believe I did it, which is just have mm-hmm. fun with my son. So my son's yeah. going, this man that I look up to, he's, he's laughing his head off. He's having yeah. fun with football. We're just having a good time kicking a ball around. The other kids going, oh my god, another twenty ten meter sprints, cones, timed cones. Mm. Uh, even the dad had a bib on as a defender. <laughs> I mean, so what it says to the the eight, nine, ten year old kid looking at dad, thinking, if I want that, if I want my dad's love, I have to do this. Mm. This mm. is because my dad has set this up for me, and our yeah. relationship is based on me doing a training session. So the message I give to, to parents, even though I know, look, I understand it. I've got three boys and a beautiful girl. I understand you're doing it because you love them and you think you're helping them, but you're not. You're just no, not funny. helping them. If you want to help them, play with them. Just mm. play. Go and have a good time. Take the football to, to picnics and and just muck and play with friends. Um, mm. encourage the kids to play really stupid games. Don't make it about yeah. rules. Make it unstructured. You know, if you have a game against your kids, don't keep score. Uh, they're going to keep mm. score anyway because they like to beat yeah. their parents. But understand the word play. With mm. if, you're, if you're in swimming and you want your kids to swim, go to the pool, learn to swim yourself. It's yeah. a great skill. It might save your own life and it yeah. might save the life of another child. But... Learn to swim and go to the pool. Don't race your kids. Just go there and throw a ball in the water. Yeah. Do underwater diving races. Um, play who can make the most splash games. Mm. Show them that the way you look at sport and the way you look at activity is fun, enjoyment, families, yeah. friendships, love. Mm. That If they grow up with that, there's a lot of people. You know, the great line I like is talent is harder to hide than it is to find. Yes, a- yes. Anyone, yes. You, you go down to a soccer field, a football field, even if you know nothing about football, you can go, that's a talented kid, or that's mm. an incredibly cal- That kid's got great ability. Why? Because they're faster, they're stronger, they're bigger, mm. they're, more, they're scoring the goals. Any my, my grandmother could do it, and she's been dead for 20 years. You know, yeah. it, it's not, talent is not hard to see. You don't mm. need a talent ID program. What you need is a program that fosters a love of what they do, so mm. they do what they love. And 
you know, there's a great line I like which goes, the only child who doesn't get better, the only child who doesn't improve is the one who's not there. Mm. The number one focus has to be that if they fall in love with what they do, then mm. they'll do what they love. They'll keep coming. Yeah. And if they've got talent, the talent will shine. Shine. But mm. if they hate it, I mean, I, I know after COVID, I get a lot of phone calls and requests to do talks about mm. getting kids back to sport. <laughs> and and I, I say to, to coaches about it, I say, hang on a minute. Have you changed? <laughs> Have you changed? Are you better? Because we've got these kids who've had two years in lockdown in a lot of places around mm-hmm. the world who've been online with their friends, who've become really good at Xbox and Fortnite and yeah. PS4. And and so you then say to them at 14, 15, 16 years of age, let's get back down to the pool. Uh, yeah. Let's let's train two times a day, five, time, five days a week, <laughs> three strength training mm-hmm. sessions while I stand at the end of the pool screaming numbers at you. Why, mm. would, why would those kids go back to sport? So I say to coach, you know, so oh, we've got to inspire and motivate kids to get back to sport. What have you, are you different? Are you, are you going to do the same old boring, dull, yeah. stand and yell and scream yeah. and make them do laps? And it, because if you haven't, these kids have had two years of, hey, hang on a minute, there's another life. There's another world mm. out there for me. Mm. They're not going to come back. If you're the same, you've got to be a better coach now. You've really got to understand them and what they need so they feel valued and listened to and respected and Mm. connected. Mm. You've you've got to have been... I mean, one of the... the, I was talking to a coach just after the COVID lockdown change, a New Zealand coach, and he said, he said, I can't wait to get back the kids back in the water (laughs) to make up for lost time. Oh, we're going to train harder than ever to make up for all the time we lost. And I said, that's exactly the the opposite to what you need to do mm. the first the first two or three months are them falling in love with the sport again love yes that's the key and then you know that great process if if they if they love what they do they do what they love they keep coming and then mm. through good coaching you know a little bit of good luck from genetics and and the talent will shine through but if they don't love it and they're not coming, well, we've got we've got all these kids around the world at the moment with huge VO2 max and great capillaries who hate sport. <laughs> I mean, yeah, who, who who cares if they've got this incredible physiology that we developed if they don't want to come mm. back? It doesn't matter. What do you, what do, you do? Mm. And then and so no, that 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 mm. core principle of what we're about now is, I understand what they need. We work together as a team. I help them mm. to connect with and fall in love with what they do. And if the will is there and the desire is there and the talent is there, well, they'll, they'll do anything. If they don't love what mm. they do, they're not going to make it. They just will not get to where they need to go. Mm. I, I was going to share some personal stories, but I'll leave that for when I come to Australia, you know, and I'm able to see you in person to discuss that because I have to be mindful of your time. Final two questions, Wayne. The reason I named the podcast Athlete Marshall was because I wanted to help athletes and parents master the craft of being athletes, you know, give them the education, the information that they, that they need so that they stop doing things the wrong way. What, in your estimation, does it mean to be a master of your craft? 
to do something that you love doing every day that Mm. when some of the big influences in my life over the years have been when you read about Picasso or when you read about Mozart, when you read about the people who are unquestionably the greatest of all time, because they loved what they were doing, they did it every day. And it's that combination Mm. of, I love what I do, so I do it more, again, Ronaldo kicking balls, Matt Guido, Michael Phelps, that that's that's where mastery comes from. Just Mm. doing things... One of the things I don't believe in is the 10,000 hours because mm. I don't think it's not just doing the 10,000 hours. It's doing the hours well and being engaged yeah. with it. And, you know, th- that's, again, the difference, I think, with someone who just gets there through repetition. And mm. some athletes have done very well that way. But, you know, the ones who are, they, they love what they're doing. So they're out on the tennis court every day and they start to go, you know, I wonder if, when I follow through, I finish with the racket over here. I wonder what would happen then. Oh, it doesn't go very well. What about if I accelerate through the the, the ball and the racket head? Yeah, that seems to work. That's, again, uh, uh, any anyone who's a master of their craft mm. starts to play with ideas. They start to, yes. you know, there, there's a great line that goes um, yes. that the greatest people, the people who've changed the world, have all got one thing in common. They've mm. done it differently. They they dare to be different. You know, you you, you don't go and see mm. a band, a rock and roll band, yeah. mm-hmm. who cover the Rolling Stones songs. You want to go and see the Rolling Stones, or you want to go yeah. and... Yeah. Um, my daughter loves Taylor Swift. Even I'd go and see Taylor Swift. <laughs> but if there was some local kid doing Taylor Swift songs, I don't really care. We, we we prize difference. Uniqueness mm. is what changes the world. You know, people who do things differently and do different things. And so what I see in people who have real mastery, because they love it, they want to do it. They're mm. doing it every day. And then by doing it every day, they start to go, oh, you know what? I could do this a little bit differently. If you're only doing it through repetition, you just follow the rules. You just go... Mm. I do 10 of these and that line I said to you before don't count the laps make every lap count it's again a master a a good athlete will just do the laps a master of their craft if that's where you're going with it a master of their craft will push off and go okay I'm going to control my breathing I'll think about my technique I'll swim in the middle of the lane I'll attack the wall I'll control my breathing. You know, th- mm. they're, they're more engaged in the moment. They're it's, more mm. because they're trying to do the thing they do that they love doing. They're trying to do it mm. better and better all the time. And that's, you know, the, some of the stuff they said that, um, you know, Picasso mm. would, he would get up early and he'd get a coffee and he'd start to paint with the other hand. And he'd go, mm. yeah, that's good. And he'd get halfway through and go, nah, that's no good. And he'd, he might do five or six half-finished paintings a day because, yeah, oh, that's not, yeah, that's good. So he was painting because he just, he, he could not and paint because he loved it so much. Mm. But then he was playing with ideas and all of a sudden he goes, yep, that's it, I've got it. And he he, he changes the the mm. art world from then on. And and Bill Gates, I mean, I've got a, funny, I've got a, a sign, I've got all these things on my wall that you can't see. Mm. And but one of them it says Apple CEO Tim Cook. 
says, and this was an article in the Harvard Business Review, mm-hmm. it says, Apple CEO Tim Cook says, what separates successful people from everyone else comes down to four words, right? This is the head of mm-hmm. Apple from an article last week, and the four words are, do what you love. Mm. That's, I mean, mm. there's a guy who's leading on from the great yeah. Steve Jobs, mm-hmm. leading yeah. this amazing company, and he's saying, it's not mm. about the technology, it's secret to success. Doing what you love. What separates successful people from everyone else? Four words, do what you love. It's mm. no different. Mm. Mm. So love and engagement in the process. Those, Absolutely. Those, those are the two, masterful, masterful answer from a master himself. We, we've talked about so many things. We're in final question. So many things, and you've given us a lot to chew on. If there's an athlete who has listened to this conversation, I've heard what you and Tola have talked about for the last one hour and 20 minutes. Can't believe it was that long. What is one thing I can start that gets me a step closer to my goal. It doesn't have to get me to the goal. I know that this is a process. I know that it takes time. I know that there's no overnight success. But I just need one thing I can start that gets me a step closer to that goal. What would that one thing be? Yeah, I think you've answered your own question. Is um, mm. there, There's the, the wonderful Chinese proverb which says, the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first yeah. step. The The other phrase that I like says... You don't have to be great to start, but you have to start to be great. To be great. Mm. And, and that's, a lot of people will say one day, I wish, I hope, I pray, uh, I dream. Everyone's got those feelings. The difference is that the people who get there actually do. Mm. So they, they think, but they do. But that's a great, I, I say to, to athletes these days uh, very much, I've changed my attitude on goal setting. I'm not a big fan of short-term, long-term, medium-term yeah, goals, yeah. not in the traditional sense, because have a look at the, the data on New Year's resolutions. Everyone's, <laughs> 90% of people don't yeah. keep their New Year's resolution by the end of January. 90% of people, it, 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 that data's been around for years. That So seriously, setting long-term goals doesn't work. The word mm. I say to athletes is, the most important word for you is what we call this and mm. THIS is just this, is yeah. what am I going to do at on this lap? What am I going to do at this meal? What am mm. I going to do in this stretch? What am I going to do in this gym session? Is to bring it into mm. now. Because by, by focusing on here and now and doing it well and being into this moment right here, the cumulative effect of that is very powerful. If you're always thinking about one day, next, mm. what mm. could happen, what should happen, what I wish mm. happens, it never happens. It's got to be, mm. what do I do? I mean, the, the great psychologist Arnold Schwarzenegger said, mm. great line by Schwarzenegger, he says, the secret to success is being in constant contact with your ultimate goal. And it's a, it's a great line from his bodybuilding days. And yeah. he, he, he talks about it, he says, it means that to be the best in the world, you have to eat like, think like, sleep like, drink mm. like, train like the best in the world right now. So don't wait to be, you know, the, you, you have, yeah. to, have to start to eat, drink, think, behave, act like the athlete you want to be. Mm. 
that's what you know. If I, I say to athletes all the time, if you want to be go to, to state championships or regional championships, yeah. you have to eat like, sleep like, behave like, train like. You're a regional athlete. You don't get to regionals. Already. Then you now start doing that. <laughs> You've got to, If you want to go to nationals, you don't get to nationals and become a national athlete. You got to eat like, sleep like, behave like, stretch like, everything like a national athlete. That's how you get there. You've got to eat. You, everything's got to be as of the athlete that you want to be yeah. and do it now. And once you get that, once you get that, I want to be a national athlete. No, you are a national athlete. It's, it's already mm. happened, if you like. You know, you you think to yourself, it's already happened because I'm living that lifestyle. Yeah. So, and you think to yourself, when I've got another sign on my wall here, I should turn the camera around. Mm. Sign says, <laughs> the, the sign says, what would the best in the world be doing now? And that's mm. what I say to the athletes. I say to an athlete, where do you want to go? I want to win yeah. my district championships, my regional championships. All right. Yeah. What would the regional champion be having for breakfast mm. this morning? And they'll go, oh, they'd be having porridge and some fruit. Okay, what did you have? Oh, I had Cocoa yeah. Pops and sugar. <laughs> All right, well, you've already given them, you, you, you know, or, you know, you want to go to nationals. What would the national champion be doing on their day off? Mm. Oh, they'd be having a, a good sleep, probably some easy exercise and having some downtime with their friends. Okay, what yeah. did you do? What did you I, do? <laughs> I sat there and I did nine hours of Xbox. Well, okay, well, you know what it is that's going to make you mm -hmm. great and give you the goals, but you're not doing it. You're choosing mm. to be less than you can mm. be. And I know a lot of the, the sessions I do now, Tyler, is, is I, instead of telling athletes what to do, I ask yeah. them about their choices. Mm. So, mm. you know, again, old coaching is you didn't do that. You've got to do it again. What I do now is I'll say to them, why did you do it that way? Well, I did it that way because is there another way you could have done that that would have been better? What do you think is going to happen if you do it that way? Mm. What do you think you should do now? I'll do it again, coach. Great idea. The outcome's yeah. the same. And the more, and again, going back to your question, I say to athletes, you mm. know, the best athletes I know choose to be great. They choose to be mm. successful. They choose to do the little things right all the time. And that yeah. can be as simple as, you know, I wake up in the morning, do I have mm -hmm. milk with chocolate in it? Or do I have yeah. a big glass <laughs> big glass of water or some fresh fruit? Mm. My choice. And, and success is a choice. That, mm. that if you think success is talent, it's really not. Mm. Success mm. is a combination, accumulation of the choices that you make and don't make. That's where it's at. And so the advice, mm. again, to every athlete is be aware of the choices that you make. It, the, the beauty of being a human being, being a thinking mm. uh, species, is that every moment of your life, you can choose to change your life. You, know, you yeah. and I are exactly the same. You and I could get up from our desk now and we could choose to start training for the Ironman triathlon yeah. if we wanted to. We could choose to get a PhD in mm. ancient history. At any yeah, moment, yeah. you can choose to change your life. Mm. You don't need to write a goal sheet. You don't need to, yeah. doesn't need to be <laughs> placards. You can just say, I choose to eat mm. a great breakfast this morning. I choose to walk to school instead this, of getting this. a lift. 
I choose mm. to do 10 minutes of extra kicking at the end of training. Once they get that, once athletes realise that it's their choices that make the difference, everything changes. Mm. Uh, choices start, then the choices you're making. This has been an absolutely fabulous conversation, Wayne. And uh, if, I, if I thought I knew where the conversation was going to go, how good the conversation was going to be, then I thoroughly disappointed myself or even thinking uh, that it was going to go this particular way. I, I'm super grateful for you coming on, sharing your knowledge. You've given us a lot to chew on, like I said, and, and it's been absolutely fabulous. Thank you so much, Wayne. Absolute pleasure. Mm. Can you tell us where we can find you, how we can follow your work, you know, all the great things you're doing, how we can reach out to you if you have any questions or any of those things? Yeah, luckily or unluckily, I'm all over the internet. So <laughs> if you, um, uh, which means I get every morning I get up and I've got about 20 emails from people just asking well, I'm glad you responded questions. to mine. <laughs> it's usually parents, usually parents. And, and uh, the most common question I get asked every, every single day is something like, hi, Wayne, um, I live in Ohio in the United States. My daughter, Julie, was a great swimmer when she was 10 and 11. Now <laughs> she's 13. She's not going so well and wants to give up. How can I motivate her? Seriously, that's the number one, that type of a question, where their kids were really talented when they were young, mm -hmm. not going so good at 13, 14, 15 and want to give up. And would I talk to them and motivate them and turn them around? And most of the time I say to the parents, let them go. If that's what yeah. they want to do, the worst yeah, thing, you, you know what it's like if you've got a child who has a messy room, who are untidy in mm. their room, what's the way to make sure they don't clean up? Is to yell at them to clean up their room. Yeah. That doesn't yeah. work. And I often say to parents, I said no. And, and motivation isn't what people think it is. People think, that I can yell at you for five minutes and motivate you to change your life. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Motivation is, it's a little flame that's burning in our chests. And what we do as coaches is we inspire the kids to feel mm. comfortable to let that flame come out. That's what we, that's, mm. motivation isn't imposing your will on someone else. It's unleashing their, their dreams. Yeah. That's, it's, a, it's the opposite to what mm. most people think. But in, apart from that, uh, I've got a Twitter feed. I've made a decision this year that I'm going to do a Twitter f post every day for 365 yeah. days, and oh, all wow. about and all of it's about coaching. And mm. already, it's been a lot of the sort of things we've talked about. Yeah. So I think that's called Wayne Gold Coach. So Wayne Gold Coach. Gold Wayne Gold Coach. Gold Coach. So mm. at Wayne Gold Coach. That's a start. Uh, my mm. uh, Facebook is mostly just friends and family stuff, but also post stuff on yeah. swimming there. I've mm. got a YouTube channel, and if you look up Wayne yeah. Goldsmith Coaching YouTube, if you go there, there, there's I think there's 70 or 80 videos. A new one comes mm. out most Wednesdays on sports parenting, on coaching, yeah. on athlete development, or a lot on swimming, mm. of course. And the other place is... Uh, YouTube uh, on uh, Spotify on Apple on uh, Google Play is my podcast yeah. called Sports Thoughts so if you go cool. Sports Thoughts by Wayne Goldsmith mm. Mm. and I'm happy to send you these links and you can put them mm. somewhere on the, the podcast yeah. but, mm -hmm. but they're the things but generally I find if people go Wayne Goldsmith coaching that there's so much on the internet 
that people can find me quite easily mm. through mm. there. And, <laughs> um, yeah, like I said, for better mm. or worse, sometimes you get great um, and you, you build new relationships and friendships yeah. like you and I have done. Or, uh, but yeah, quite often it's frustrated parents and, <laughs> and, um, you know, their dreams of, their dreams have gone. Their child has yeah. walked away from, from water polo or something and they want me to fix the problem. To fix uh, it. And I say, I, I can't do it. I can't, I can't fix my own children. So, you know, my own children, um, I can't help my own children with things like cleaning up their room. So I can't help yeah. a child on the other side of the, on the other side of the world. world. But, it uh, yeah, never never ceases to amaze me, but um, but uh, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll end on a. I think a beautiful thing that happened to me recently was yeah. I was in the United States. I've I've been lucky. I've just been uh, awarded by the International Swimming Hall of Fame, and oh, wow. uh, it, which has been great. And I went to Florida. <laughs> I was in Florida in uh, October for to get my prize, which was which was yeah. nice and. While I was there, I met a lot of people that I haven't seen for a long time, but I ran into a, a guy called Greg Laganus. Now, Greg mm. Laganus, if you Google Greg Laganus, one of the greatest divers, platform and, mm. and uh, board divers of all time. And in 1992, Laganus was at the Barcelona Olympics. Mm. And in the early round, he did an inward dive and split his head open needing multiple stitches and was heavily concussed. At the time, he was the defending champion and expected to win. Mm. He was really the, the, the most high-profile athlete in the American team. And mm. between the two Olympics, he'd come out as gay. So he was an icon of the gay community in the middle of the AIDS crisis yeah. to the point where athletes in the team said, we won't dive against him because we're afraid of getting the disease. Yeah. And, of course, he comes out in the final and he, he gets the job done. And I told that story for a long time about how amazing it was that someone could be injured, concussed, suffered, expected yeah. to win, incredible pressure on him, uh, hatred towards him because of his lifestyle choices, yeah. and the guy still does the job. And I use it as an example mm. when I talk to athletes that that no matter what's happening around you, it's what you yeah. allow to happen and how you respond to it that makes a difference. So all of a sudden, this guy's right at Greg Laganis is in front of me. And I said, Greg, introduce myself. And I said, I told him that story. I said, I don't, uh, I wanted, I, I promised myself if I ever met you, yeah. I would, <laughs> that I would thank you and, and say what an incredible thing that was you did. Mm. And I must say, this guy was is one of the few people that I, I was a little bit nervous even meeting because I thought yeah. extraordinary human being to have the, the, the judgment of the world on yeah. so many different oh, areas yeah. as an athlete, you know, mm. and he, he looked at me and he had a tear in his eye and he gave me a mm. hug and he said, Wayne, that's one of the most beautiful things anyone's ever said to me. Wow. And I, I was just stunned, Tyler. Because, mm. you know, there's someone whose story had influenced me and got me thinking yeah. about the hum a human being's capability to deal with pressure. Mm. And we're just connecting as two human beings. Yeah. And it reminded me that for all of us, just remember, we're all just people. 
and yep. we all have weaknesses and strengths and loves and disappointments and opportunities doesn't matter whether you're a great athlete whether you're just starting out we're just human beings oh, and the yeah. most important moments we have are human moments uh, don't mm. get over as a coach or an athlete parent yeah don't get overly excited and overly mm. stressed about sport it's only sport yeah and what mm. really matters is the relationships between people and mm. i mean that was only november last year that uh, October last year that it just reminded yeah. me that the real beauty of what we do is in the relationships we form and focus on yeah. those things more than worrying too much about sporting success. Mm-hmm. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And of course, all the details you've given, I'm going to put that in the show notes for everyone uh, to, to find, follow your work. And certainly, I can attest that it is actually for the better. So you say you don't know whether it's for better or for worse, but I can tell you for a fact that it is actually for better. Thank you so much uh, My for pleasure. coming on, Wayne. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm sure you'd see from that promise I made at the start that, you know, every single thing was backed up every single word right that i said in that intro was absolutely backed up there were stories to go with everything that wayne was teaching there were analogies to properly explain the angle from which he was coming and all of those things this is one that i myself right i'm going to listen to over and over and over again so how much more you the athlete or the sports brain. Absolutely special episode, guys. Absolutely special. And of course, I can't wait uh, till I go down under, right? So I can see Win in person and of course, continue the conversation and the relationship from there. You guys can connect with Win, guys. You can connect with him on Twitter at Wayne Gold Coach. All of this will be in the show notes, guys. Do not worry about it. It will be in the show notes, but you can connect with him on Twitter at Wayne Gold Coach. You can connect with him on YouTube at Wayne Goldsmith Coaching. And of course, he has a podcast as well, Sports Thoughts. Where of course, he shares his thoughts on sports, sports parenting, and of course, everything that athletes can benefit from. Trust me, guys, I enjoyed this episode, and I hope that you did as well. If you did, do not forget to share this episode with a fellow athlete or a sports parent. It's one that they will continually thank you for, at least till the end of this year. So share it on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, any of the social media platforms that you use. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss great episodes like this, what are you waiting for? What, of course, your subscription would do, your rating and review would do is that it improves the profile of the podcast. It allows other athletes find it and know that it's a resource they can use to chase their goals in sports. Athletemaestro.com forward slash subscribe. Athletemaestro.com forward slash subscribe so when you subscribe also leave that written and review if you have any questions guys whatsoever you want to ask wing something send me a mail tola at athletemaestro.com i'll pass on your question and of course maybe his answer i'll discuss it on a future episode of the show tola at athletemaestro.com i'll catch you guys on the next episode of the show remember knowing is not enough you must apply willing is not enough you must do i want you to go out there apply everything you've learned from the master i want you to go out there and i want you to be a maestro today and every single day